The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Welcome to a discussion of radical fundamental principles of freedom, rational self-interest, laissez-faire capitalism, and individual rights. The Yaron Brook Show starts now. All right, we're back. Thanks for staying through the break. And uh, we're talking about, we've been talking about Amazon. We've been talking about antitrust more broadly. And, and I, so I want to summarize. Antitrust laws are massive infringements on the rights of businesses. They're massive infringements on the rights of entrepreneurs. They're massive government intervention into our lives, into our economy, into the way our economy runs. If you want to do good for the U.S. economy, get rid of the antitrust laws. And as I explained, as a businessman, you're guilty under, under antitrust. Whether you, whatever you do almost. If you sell too high, if you sell high, if you sell low, if you sell like everybody else, you're guilty no matter what. Basically, antitrust laws are laws that are there to penalize success, to penalize successful companies, to penalize Companies that, 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 that do fantastically well, and what is the indication of doing fantastically well? That they gain massive market share. That's the real essence. That's the real purpose. That's what antitrust laws are there for. They're there to penalize, which is uh, what makes them so horrific, so horrific. All right, let's take a call from Skylar. He's been waiting patiently on the line for a long time. Hey, Skylar, how's it going? Good afternoon, Dr. Brooke. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. You've got to speak uh, up. I speak just... up because I think, I think your volume is Oh, low. okay. Okay. Hello? Is this better? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I would just like to get an objective, uh, objectivist perspective on the Bell system or Ma Bell uh, alleged monopoly and subsequent breaking up. Well, Marbell had an alleged monopoly because it had a monopoly that was protected by government. You see, the one thing that creates real monopolies, the one thing that creates real monopolies is government. It is um, government intervention. So uh, AT&T, Marbell, was protected by government from competition. And you couldn't compete without getting permission from the government. And the government restrained competition. So there was only really one provider of telephone communications in the United States before the 1980s, before the 1980s, before some entrepreneurs managed to break the spell. And then Congress fan finally said, no more protection. We're going to break you up. Um, there would have never been a Marbell if uh, the markets had been free to begin with. So Marbell is an example of the kind of monopolies that are really damaging. And the really damaging monopolies are monopolies that the government protects. I'll give you an example right now. The post office. Try to deliver yeah. first-class mail. First-class mail. You go to jail. Yeah. You go to jail. But so, so uh, that, is a, that is a real monopoly. Try to compete with Marbell. You go to jail. Right? And, and right. there are lots of examples of this. I mean, there's some stunning stories about people who, uh, who developed technologies that Marbell didn't like and how Marbell used the government in order to suppress those technologies, in order to drive those technologies out of existence. Um, and, and it, 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 you know, it was, it was real. It, it was worse than just cronyism because Marbell was basically being protected by government laws, by the government completely. All right. So, 
Thanks, Kyle. I really appreciate the call. So this is the point, Thank you. right? Government is force. Government is coercion. Government is the fist, the gun. You can't disagree with the government unless you're risk, uh, unless you're willing to risk going to jail, unless you're willing to risk having force inflicted on you. Markets about voluntary transactions. Markets, you can walk away, you can resign, you can quit, you can go somewhere else. You don't. There's nothing in markets. You're not allowed to use a gun in a marketplace. If you use a gun, that's the one job of the government. The one job of the government is to protect us from people using guns, from people defrauding us, from people doing things that curse us. So the marketplace is a place free of coercion until the government steps in. It steps in to prosecute antitrust, that's coercion, breaks up a business. Why, why would you break up Standard Oil? Why would you want to break up Microsoft? Do you know what Microsoft's sin was in the 1980s, 90s, sorry, in the 1990s? It offered, and why the Justice Department went after them? Because they offered a browser for free. Those of you old enough to remember this, it, you know, in, uh, in 1996, I think it was, when Netscape went public, Netscape was the browser everybody used. And we paid for it. We bought it. It cost 70 bucks. And then Microsoft did something brilliant. It bundled the brow its browser, Internet Explorer, with DOS. So you got a free browser when you bought DOS. And Netscape flipped out. And they got angry. And they went to the government and said, that's, that's dumping, the equivalent of dumping. They're undercutting our prices. And that's when the Justice Department went after Microsoft. Right? So you can't undercut your competition by offering a product for free. So in a free market, there is no coercion, and therefore there are no monopolies. Monopolies, by the essential characteristic, are coercive. They are dominant players, but those dominant players will not stay dominant unless they offer great service at a great price. Competitors would compete them out of business. There's always competition. There's always somebody waiting on the wings to get you. If Amazon messes up, there's Jet.com, which Walmart bought, which is just waiting to pounce. And there's probably a hundred entrepreneurs out there who are waiting to create the next great thing that would drive Amazon out of business. How long has Amazon even existed? Since the late 1990s. And, you know, before that, Amazon drove out lots of other businesses that were probably considered monopolies at the time. All right, we've got Daniel on the line uh, from Minnesota. Hey, Daniel. What's up? Hey, Ron. Long-time listener, first-time caller. You there? Go ahead. Yes, I'm here. Yep. <clears throat> I want to make uh, two points. Um, unfortunately, you just made them for me. I was going to bring out the Microsoft example, and then also just the difference between a non-coercive monopoly and a coercive monopoly. But unfortunately, I'm going to have to call ahead uh, faster next time, but no worries there. So I'll, I guess I'll just bring up the, the psychological trauma that, uh, that, well, for example, the Microsoft case had on Bill Gates. I mean, here we have one of the most brilliant minds of the 21st century, and can you imagine just the, the trauma he goes through when, when all that time and effort and energy into 
building this this huge business and then just by some unobjective law, some regulator, all of a sudden it's just crushed by him. Mean, can you imagine just the psychological trauma that goes through and what that personally I had on him on the human capital side of it, I suppose. Yeah, no, absolutely. And 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 look, that's absolutely right. I mean, there's a massive cost to all this. And the cost really is that it completely demoralizes the companies that the government goes after. The government is going after you with a gun. The government is going after you with the full force of government. It is, it is there to stop you from doing what you're doing. You invested all your effort, all your time, all your energy in this company, Microsoft, let's say. You built something that is changing the world, that is incredibly valuable. It was the most valuable company in the world at the time. And the government comes in and says, you can't do that. We know better. This is bad. This is not in the so-called pub public interest. And they basically shut you down. All right. Thanks, Daniel. Thanks for the call. Um, what's important here to understand is the difference between economic power, the power to negotiate, the power to offer value for value, the power to offer product for money, the value to offer services, and coercion, which is a gun, which is force, which gives you no alternatives. You can't shop somewhere else. You can't do something else. You're forced to do what you are told. And this is exactly what this country was established to prevent. It was established to provide for freedom, for us to be free, which means no coercion, which means letting business function independent of a government gun telling business what business practices are good and what are bad. All right, uh, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, uh, we're going to try to wrap it up on, uh, on uh, discussing Amazon. You're listening to your Ron Brooks show. We'll be right back after this break. PhD, author, media contributor. This is the Yaron Brooks Show, the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to the Yaron Brooks Show. All right, let's talk a little bit about Amazon itself and, and about this case uh, regarding Amazon. Uh, again, I, you know, I think the whole issue of monopolies is absurd, but th th there definitely is this envy um, with regard to Amazon. There's a certain hatred, and, and it's in our culture. It's deep in our culture, particularly uh, on the left, but also I'll read you a, a, a piece here by somebody on the right. There's this deep envy. There's this deep resentment of uh, success, of successful people and successful companies, and particularly uh, there's this uh, adoration of the mom-and-pop store, the mom-and-pop, uh, you know, grocery store, the mom-and-pop corner store, whatever. And uh, a resentment of Amazon basically dominating so much of what we do. And, and uh, you know, the left, you expect this, and, and you get this all the time, and the Democrats are pushing for there to be an investigation and you know here's amazon who's i don't know about you guys but it's changed my life completely i mean everything i buy i i buy on amazon i buy somewhere else online but i was taught to buy online by amazon and my standard for what an online buying experience should be is amazon 
it's it's the standard. It does it best, right? So I might compare and I might look at other sites, but at the end of the day, Amazon is how I think about online shopping. Now, some people resent that. Like, oh, they have such a dominant position. I respect that because it's made my life better. I get Amazon Prime. I get all this stuff shipped for me two days, free shipping. And if I don't like it, I return it. I mean, it's unbelievable. Can you imagine? I mean, I can't remember shopping before Amazon. I certainly did a lot less shopping, so I've shopped more with Amazon than I would otherwise. But I shop much better. I can compare instantly different products, different prices. If I don't trust Amazon's pricing, like the so-called FTC investigation right now, I can look at Best Buy. I can look somewhere else. I can check. This idea that we're so stupid and so ignorant that we need the government to come and watch over us and protect us from the evil businessmen is so ridiculous, particularly in the era of the web, where we can select. And, and then there's the comments section and stars, and I can read what other people think about the product and whether they have good experiences or bad experiences. I mean, it's, it has improved shopping and therefore improved the material well-being of human beings. By so much, it's, it's literally unimaginable. Unimaginable. So it's just unbelievable to me that anybody would have a complaint against Amazon. And they keep innovating. And they keep proposing new ways to do this. They keep proposing new ways to improve our lives, to provide us with a better shopping experience, to provide us with better tools in our world. I mean, we use Alexa all the time at home now. We use it in a pretty, pretty primitive way. Um, like, like, like 20 years ago, 20 years ago, how would you know what the weather was? Well, you'd have to look in the newspaper, right? You'd literally have to look in the newspaper. What's the weather forecast? Or you'd watch your local television news. How painful is that? How, who's watched local television news in the last 20 years? I haven't. I never watch local television news. I hate it. Now... Now, okay, so about 10 years ago, you looked it up on weather.com. Five years ago, whatever. Looked it up on weather.com. And you got a great detailed forecast and you could tell. Now, I say, Alexa, what's the weather going to be tomorrow? Or what's the weather going to be tomorrow in Miami? And she tells me. And it's amazing. And it's cool. Or Alexa, you know, I've got something in the oven. Tell me when 30 minutes are up. And she tells me, now, that is an improvement of human life. It makes my life easier and better. And of course, it can do, Alexa can do a lot of other things that <laughs> I don't use her for. Play me a song, any song I want, from the entire music library of the human race, of history. And she'll just play it. I mean, the convenience, the benefit to human life, it's just unbelievable. Now, People, what do they bemoan Amazon for? They've driven the mom and pop stores out of business. This guy writing on, on I couldn't believe it. Like this is on, um, what's it called? What's the website called? Uh, it didn't save the website. Pajama Media. I used to be on Pajama TV a lot. Right? This is Pajama Media. This is supposed to be pro markets. And here's this guy writing, the guy named, uh, it also took... Just took his name away from the article. That's too bad. I wanted to shame him here because I, I, I don't. His name does not appear. Anyway, it's called the Amazon Washington Post and why it needs to be destroyed. Destroyed. Amazon needs to be destroyed. 
Why? Because they demolished bookstores, big box stores, department stores, grocery stores, record stores, and even smaller retail outlets, putting small businessmen, struggling authors, and garage bands out of business. Really? There are more garage bands now than ever before because platforms like Amazon have made it so easy to distribute your music or distribute your writing. Now, it's funny because this guy's an author, and he says, oh, they make it so difficult for me to make money. The royalties are so low. So he's complaining. Right. And then, ooh, the shares of Home Depot have gone down. I mean, this guy wants buggies to still exist. Why have an automobile industry? Imagine all the industries, automobiles destroyed. It's so frustrating. It's so, so frustrating that that people still hold uh, these ideas. So. Um, but this is what we have, right? So he, he, he's bemoaning that Amazon is destroying Home Depot and Lowe's, that it's going to destroy Whirlpool and Sears. I mean, Sears is dying. All, you know, uh, uh, shop, stores out there, brick and mortar stores, are slowly dying. They're dying because they can't provide as good a service as Amazon can. So, yeah, we could go backwards. We could go to, to looking in the newspaper for what the weather is. Oh, we can embrace the future. We can embrace technology. We can embrace the far, far superior buying experience that Amazon has provided. Yeah, his name is Michael Walsh. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Michael Walsh writing for Pajama Media. So what we need is to celebrate Amazon, to thank Amazon. Amazon is this amazing company that does so much for our lives, that has improved our daily shopping. I don't go to the mall anymore. I hate malls. I hate going shopping. My wife, even clothes. My wife buys clothes online, Amazon, eBay, other places, and I try them on. They're no good. Send them back. Same with shoes. Same with everything. Why go shopping? What a waste of time. Having to walk around there. I can even, even window shopping I can do online today. And the thing is that these people, these Luddites, these people who want to take us backwards, it's not enough that they want that experience. They can. They can go to the mall. They can go to the shops. They can go shopping. They can buy a newspaper and look up the weather. But they want to force, force, impose their will on me and you. They want to tell us how we should live. They want to break up Amazon. They want to destroy Amazon. And they want to impose that world on us. They want to use coercion to destroy our lives. All right. Um, I'm going to shift topics after the break. We've got a break coming up. We're going to talk about Charlie God uh, and what's, what's happening with Charlie God. Uh, and um, I encourage you again, if you, if you want to call it Stuart, I know you're holding, but I really don't want to get into songwriters' royalties uh, today. I don't want to get into IP. Um, we, we can do that another time. 888-900-3393 if you want to talk about Charlie God after the break uh, and uh, you know hopefully you learn something about antitrust today and about about uh, how much I admire Amazon all right we you're listening uh, to the Iran Brook show uh, we're on the blaze.com radio network you won't hear traditional political views here this is the Iran Brook show on the blaze radio network 
Ron Brooks Show. All right, we're back. And the two things I wanted to say before we drop Amazon completely about this uh, this horrific article uh, that was in, uh, you know, a supposedly conservative publication. Now, maybe maybe he was being trying to be clever or cynical or whatever it, it, by Michael Walsh, but, but this seems real. So he's complaining about... Uh, Amazon is like Amazon is doing to business what Sears did to small bomb and pop stores a hundred years ago, and he's saying, "Yeah, Amazon's just like the Sears catalog." So, what's he complaining about? Sears? That Sears should have never existed? I mean, it's 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 just mind-boggling. And then uh, he gets to the real crux of it, I think, and that is his complaint about the fact that Amazon owns the Washington Post and therefore owns this. Uh, you know, false news, so-called false news in quotes, false news apparatus. And um, and it's really doing that in order to gain political power and how Donald Trump is going to go after them, you know, justifiably because they own and maybe these companies shouldn't own media because it's too much. In it. It's just a mess, just a complete and utter mess. So, uh, you know, this is this is this is where we are today. All right. Let's skip topics and uh, and talk about uh, Charlie God. You know, I don't know how many of you are following this, but this is a story of the baby uh, of of the the young boy in uh, in England who has a very rare, very very I think there are only sixteen cases ever of this disease, uh, genetic disorder that is basically incapacitating uh, his, his, his brain. It, it goes to the brain and it makes it impossible for the brain uh, to, to properly grow. It's called mitochondrial depletion syndrome. Mitochondrial is a, is a, is a genetic, genetic material. Um, here's how it describes his situation. He can't breathe without a ventilator. Move, he's deaf, he has severe epilepsy. Um, and they are saying, again, the doctors at least are saying that he has severe brain damage. Now, the parents, now he's in this uh, British hospital. Uh, all of his treatment is being paid by uh, the British Health Services because they have socialized medicine. And a decision has to be made at, at what point you disconnect this child from the ventilator and, and let him die. I, I mean, there's no life here for him. He's got severe brain damage. He can't breathe without the ventilator. Who wants to live that way? Why would anybody want to live that way? And, and of course, who's paying for it? Now, it's socialized medicine. So who gets to make that decision? Under socialized medicine, the hospital gets to make that decision, or court, in this case, gets to make this decision. Now, the parents, the parents don't want the child disconnected. And the parents have latched onto the idea that there's this experimental medication treatment in the United States, and they want to take the child and move him to the United States to experience this medica- this uh, experiment. Um, and they've actually raised the money to do it. Now, in a free market, in a completely free market, yeah, the, the, the parents would have a complete decision about what to do here. And they would decide where to take the child as long as they're paying for it. I don't think insurance companies would be willing to keep the child on the ventilator and ship him to the United States for treatment that is probably 90% plus not going to do any good. And even if it does good, it's not going to repair the brain damage the child already has. So we'll get to the moral question of whether should one even try to save this child. But it would be 
It's the it's the parents' responsibility. It's it's their child, like it or not. They would go through the motions. They would pay for it. They would do whatever's necessary. One of the great evils of socialized medicine is it's not not your decision. It's not the parents' decision. It's not even the insurance company's decision. It's the government's decision. It's a court's decision. Now, what has a court got to do with this? What well, the court has to decide how to use public money, government money, whether to keep some people alive or other people not. Because if you kept everybody alive all the time, the social system would run out of money. Right? Would run out of money. So, socialized medicine is a disaster. This isn't a good case to illustrate it, though. This kid is dead. This kid, in my view, should be allowed to die. Keeping him alive is an abomination. And at the same time, millions of people, millions of people are being harmed by socialized medicine. Millions of people are standing in lines to receive MRI or any kind of treatment. Thousands of people are not being treated with the most effective treatment for cancer or heart disease because there's not enough money in the budget and they can't pay for it themselves. The injustices committed daily on healthy adults are constant and nobody cares. This is the great mystery, right? Nobody cares. Nobody cares about the thousands of people dying because of socialized medicine. Nobody cares about the fact that thousands or millions globally of people are not getting the best cancer and heart disease treatment because of socialized medicine. Nobody cares that people die in line waiting for the MRI. But you take one child with severe brain damage and parents who are going to do anything in their power to keep him alive, and suddenly everybody cares. People are flying to England to demonstrate, to demonstrate. Why? Why is this the case that is galvanizing us? Arguably, if you cared about the child, you would argue for them disconnecting him, letting him die. You can't say that about adults. You can't say that about healthy people who are just waiting for an MRI or somebody who's got the beginning of cancer and not going to get the right treatment. That's the real evil. It's because of the altruism in our culture. It's because the more, the more somebody is suffering, the more we got to care. The more somebody is closer to death, the more we got to care. The more they're damaged, brain damage in this case, the more we have to care. But that's upside down. I mean, you know, I feel horrible for this kid. I feel horrible for parents. As a parent myself, I can't imagine what they're going through. But the fact is, this kid will never have a life. This kid, no matter what the treatment does, will never have the parts of his brain that have not grown properly. Those won't come back. It's true. The court system shouldn't be deciding this. But this isn't the case on which to fight socialized medicine. This isn't the case on which to take a stand. Because I think the parents are wrong here. I think the parents should allow the hospital to let the child die. And it's only, 
this awful, awful sense of, I, I don't know, I don't know what it is about us that, 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 well, I do know, it's this, it's this awful morality that we all live under. The, the, the worse off somebody is, the more we want to jump to his defense. And note, note, that President, Ob President uh, uh, Trump has come in on this issue, and the Pope, the Pope you'd expect it, has come in on this issue. Keep the kid alive. Keep the kid alive. Bring him to the United States. Congress has given the parents temporary residency in the United States so they can bring him without going through the visa process. Why? There are thousands, millions of people who would love to come to the United States to get health treatment. People who could actually live a, a, a good life if they got that treatment. Why are we making this exception for this child? Why is this what is motivating us to give temporary residency for Congress to go into session in order to address this? I mean, this is just horrific. It's horrific that Congress would do such a thing. I mean, if Congress wants to pass a bill saying all the victims of socialized medicine in the world or in Great Britain or in Europe or whatever, if you want to come to the United States to get better treatment, we will give you a special visa that is, makes it easy for you to come to, into the United States to get special treatment. I'm all for that. That'll be great. Come over, get the treatment, pay for it here for everybody. But to pass a bill for one child, a child that actually probably will not be able to be helped by this treatment, and even if he is helped by this treatment, will stay crippled, and, 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 and cognitively deficient because his brain will never have developed enough. So you will never live a human life. But that's what these people want, I guess. That's what these altruists want. They want this kid to suffer. All right. We're going to take, uh, we're going to take a break to, to, and, and we'll come back. Uh, happy to get your calls. What do you think about that? I know what I'm saying is not very popular. What do you think about this Charlie God thing? 888-900-3393. You want to defend, you want to defend Congress and the president for making a big deal out of this? 888-900-3393. What would you do with Charlie God? We'll be right back after these messages. You're listening to Iran Brooks Show on the Blaze Radio Network. This is the Iran Brooks Show. The Blaze Radio Network. We're back, and we're talking about Charlie God, this this uh, poor kid who um, who has a genetic disease that is basically uh, destroying him. It's eating him alive, and uh, basically he is going to be crippled for the rest of his life. He's no matter what the treatment does, he he is going to have an unfunctioning brain for the rest of his life. He's not going to be able to live as a human being. Now, look, I completely agree that it should be a hundred percent the parent's decision if they have the money to pay for it, which they do, uh, and it shouldn't be a political issue. It shouldn't be up to the states to make these decisions. But you have socialist medicine. The state is making these decisions every single day. Why is this kid become the, the symbol, the, the, the thing that conservatives are latching onto to try to 
attack socialized medicine. This isn't the good example. The real example is every single day people are dying because of socialized medicine. Every single day people are denied choices because of socialized medicine. Every single day our system is collapsing, our healthcare system is collapsing more and more and more because, because of socialized medicine. So Charlie God is a bad example. Because there's no good outcome. It's not like under private health care, there'd be a good outcome from this. If England had a private health care system, the parents would pay $1.3 million now, they've got $1.3 million, to keep them alive, basically as, as a vegetable, I guess, and, 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 and probably a suffering one. There'd be no positive outcome here, and he'd probably die. Yes, maybe they'd learn something by, by treating him. Maybe they'd learn something about medicine. But who the hell wants their kid to be a, a guinea pig of experimentation when the chances of actual living a life as a human being are basically impossible? I agree completely that, with the point that it's not. It should not be the government. It should not be the hospital making these decisions in in a private healthcare system, it wouldn't be. This is clearly a, you know, a horrific one example of millions of examples of why socialized medicine is so, so bad. You have, you know, what do you call it? Death councils, death committees who decide who lives and who dies. But it's, this isn't the example. And why, again, why is our president getting involved? Why isn't he, why isn't he denouncing socialized medicine every single day? Why? Denouncing it only with Charlie God, and he's, he didn't really denounce socialized medicine when he came out to show his caring about Charlie. Why, why is Congress getting involved? If socialized medicine is so bad, first of all, Congress could repeal Obamacare, that would be good. It could repeal Medicare, that would be good. Those are socialized medicine programs. Let's not become England, that's good. But again, this child is not an example, a good example of the true evils of, of socialized medicine. Um, I think he's, he's being used. He's being used but primarily by, by uh, elements of the religious right all over the place. He's being used. And, and look, the protesters outside this hospital uh, giving death threats to hospital administrators, giving death threats to uh, nurses and doctors, disrupting the functioning of the hospital. I mean, where were they when, again, hundreds of people every single day are suffering because of socialized medicine? They didn't care. But you give them one really, really suffering kid, one child who cannot live a normal life as a human being, and they go nuts. It, 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 it offends them suddenly. Why are you fighting for this life and not the lives of normal people, not the lives of healthy people? It's sad, right? It's sad. And we're not fighting for his life. They're fighting for his life to keep him alive. It reminds me of the Tevi Shivo case. You remember the Tevi Shivo case years and years ago in Florida? She was basically had been on life support for, I think, a couple of years, and her husband wanted to unplug her. She was brain dead. She was completely dead. There was nothing there, and he wanted to unplug her. And the, 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 um, the, her parents didn't want it. And they actually passed a law in the Florida legislature that just applied to Terry Schiavo. Why just, you know, because in the name of the right to life, quote. What life? What life? You're a vegetable. What life? 
disconnect it. Let them die with dignity. Let, let, let it end. I mean, it, it's tragic. It's sad anytime children die. But it is what it is. Ah, sad, sad note. All right. You know, what we hear in the owner books are for freedom. We're for human flourishing. We're for individual human flourishing. And the only system that provides that is freedom. And in healthcare, that freedom is necessary across the board. All right. You've been listening to another show, the Yaron Book Show. We're on the Blaze Radio Network. See you next week. Applying the principles of rational self-interest and individual rights on your radio. It's the Yaron Brook Show on the Blaze Radio Network.